0: On this episode of Serverless Chats, I speak with Effie Murdler-Kravitz about managing a serverless engineering team. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 13. Hi everyone, I'm Jeremy Daly and you're listening to Serverless Chats. This week I'm chatting with Effie Merdler-Kravitz. Hey Effie, thanks for joining me. Hey Jeremy, thanks for having me. So, you are the R&D director at Lumigo, so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and background, uh, and then what Lumigo is up to.
1: Uh, So as you said, I'm leading the R&D of Lumigo, and I've been working on pure serverless applications for the last two and a half, three years. Uh, and on a personal note, I think it's the best technology decision that I ever made. Uh, so a couple of words about Lumigo. Um, Lumigo is a SaaS platform for serverless monitoring and troubleshooting. Basically, Lumigo connects to your AWS accounts and alerts when things go wrong and then tells you the entire story of the request that lead to that issue. So you can quickly get the root cause. Let me elaborate a little bit. When you break your application to small pieces following the microservice architecture, it becomes very hard to debug your application. By the way, both in production and in your local dev environment. And it becomes especially hard when using async components like SNS, SQS, Kinesis, etc. Um, as someone uh, who worked with serverless extensively before, we understood the challenge here at Lumigo. Um, Therefore, we developed a platform to help developers like us to understand the environment quickly when something goes wrong.
0: Awesome. All right, so we've had a couple of shows so far where we've talked about observability uh, and we've kind of gotten into uh, all of that sort of stuff that Lumigo, I think, as a product does, which is really interesting. But I actually want to talk to you about this idea of managing a serverless engineering team because uh, one thing that's... Kind of unique, I think, about Lumigo is even other companies that are working on serverless products. Um, they're not entirely serverless themselves, and uh, and Lumigo is. And so you you pretty much manage
1: an entire serverless engineering team, right? Yeah, uh, we are one hundred percent serverless. From you know from deployment, packaging to monitoring, everything is serverless. We don't use any. Uh, we don't use any physical or virtual service in our uh, in our backend.
0: Awesome, that's so cool. So, all right. So let's. Uh, so you're a manager. You've been doing this for a very long time. You've been managing engineering teams. Um, and so I want to. I really want to get into this idea of what's sort of different about managing uh, a serverless engineering team versus managing a traditional engineering team. And I know maybe some people are thinking, well. You know, what's the difference? But I, I think there is, and I think I think you think there there are uh, some differences. So maybe we start first by um what we have to do to, to sort of move our team to serverless. So if we've got for an established organization, you know, it's great to be a greenfield startup and and be exploring new things, but um, most companies are not, right? Most companies are established yeah. companies with legacy systems and so forth. Um, so how do we go from uh, you know this idea of of taking a team that's used to working with all these different services uh, and 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 EC two and containers or whatever uh, and moving them to something that's a lot more serverless. So uh, maybe we start with that. What's the what's like the first step to to getting people to move teams to serverless?
1: Great question, Jeremy. So I, I think that the best advice to any new beginning, especially in the technology world, is to start small. Try to test, the te- uh, to test the technology before jumping head first. So what does it mean in our case? So first of all, I think you should ignore buzzwords. You hear a lot about uh, new cool services. For example, AWS have a dozen of ways to save data, query it, you have, a, you have the ability to run machine learning on it. Try to use simple, trusted, and well-documented services. I think services like API Gateway, DynamoDB, S3, Lambdas, of course. These are the services that are the building blocks of any serverless application in AWS. And there's a good chance that you'll use at least one of them in the final solution. Um, try to use the simple version of services. What do I mean by simple? For example, in AWS, you have six or seven services that provide queue capabilities. There's a good chance that choosing SQS, at least in the beginning, when you start is good enough. Avoid more complicated services like Kinesis. And you know, in the end what they say, no one was ever fired for choosing SQS. So I think it's a good choice. Um, read and learn. Many people think that serverless is identical to previous technologies that they use. And sometimes they forget that serverless is not always a new technology but also a different way to approach development. There are many great blog posts, newsletters, and of course, for specific AWS services, read the AWS documentation. They are a great source of information. Choose a good framework that will help you with the transition. There are many good ones, like AWS SAM, the uh, serverless framework, Chalice or Zappa, if you work with Python, and, Don't forget uh, other practices that you used in the past. If you use Node and Express in the past, then AWS released, I think a couple of years ago, a a framework called AWS Serverless Express. It's a framework uh, that was released by AWS to help you in the transition. So if you are familiar uh, with Node and Express, it will help you in moving to the serverless uh, world. Uh, For example, in the Python world, if you use Django or Flask, then you can use Zappa, uh, which I think is a great choice for the transition. So you don't need to change your methodologies, at least at the beginning, because eventually I think that uh, these uh, frameworks, for example, the framework that AWS provides and the framework that Zappa provides, in the end don't provide the code that should be running in a serverless environment but at least in the beginning, they remove a lot of overhead from your head.
0: Right. And so what about uh, the transition? I mean, do you use like a whole, do you just transition the whole team right away? Or do you, do you pick like a point person to do something like that?
1: Um, I, I think that, uh, especially serverless, which is something that is very new. Uh, um, I think you should lead the way as a manager. Um, As I said before, serverless is not only technology, it also shapes the way you develop software. Therefore, you as a leader uh, who has the sole responsibility on how your software team works and delivers, uh, need to master the tools of trade. So before giving it to anyone in your team, make sure you sit down and learn it on your own. Uh, Again, as I said earlier, read the blogs, do the tutorials, uh, read as much information as possible before uh, uh, moving or uh, moving the entire team or transitioning the entire team.
0: I think also uh, it's one of those benefits of being a uh, an engineering manager uh, where you get to try out some of that cool stuff first before you let anybody else use it. Uh, exactly
1: exactly <laughs> you know uh, most of the time you do the boring stuff and now right. you have a chance to start something new.
0: Exactly. So, so how do you then introduce it to the team? So, if you as a manager are, um, uh, you know, going through and learning some of the basics here, I mean, obviously you can lead the way, but this is why we have teams, right? Because teams can um, can really go deep and and uh, and start implementing those things which you might not be able to do um, with your busy meeting schedule, right? Uh, as as an engineering yeah. manager. So, so wh- what's the best way? How do we introduce that to your team once you sort of feel comfortable with it?
1: I think that uh, uh, the best thing about serverless is that it's cool. Okay? It's, a new, it's a cool technology. It's a new technology. And I think the moment you introduce it that way to your team, it will make your life a lot easier. So make sure it looks cool. Show that it saves time in deployment. Show that uh, it's very easy to configure new components. Um, show them that you can easily and quickly deliver new code. And in the end, you know, developers hate configuration. And the moment you save them the hassle in configuring uh, new dockers and configuring uh, new services, but all they have to do is just write the code and let it run magically. The moment they'll see it, you know, they'll be get hooked up immediately.
0: How do you impart that knowledge onto your team? Do you do formal training or is this something that you just encourage they explore on their own, for example?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's a general question. I don't think it's related only to serverless. So what's the best way to learn new technology? So in the end, it's a personal taste. And I think each of the uh, managers and developers choose their own path. So my own personal uh, taste is to do it together. Learning together. First of all, I think it's, it's great for bonding. You know, developers usually are... Uh, walk alone, you know, in their own environment, on their own laptop, uh, uh, putting headphones on their ears, listen to music, and most of the time they don't interact with each other. So it's a great way to bond, you know, to talk with each other. Uh, it makes it very easy to ask questions. Uh, and the best of all, I don't think you're interfering to each other, because you're learning together. So it's not like you are learning right now, then someone in the middle of you know, of, of his own task. You ask him a question, and you need to stop him uh, uh, on walking what he's doing right now. I think there are two good resources that I recommend on on learning. So first of all, there's the official AWS tutorial on serverless. Um, I can share the link at the end of the uh, recording. Um, and I think there's a very good tutorial by uh, serverless-stack.com um tutorial on how to use serverless uh, code wise and how to use the various tools and each of my developers here in the team uh, the day they arrive have uh must actually go over these two tutorials and before they actually start to code for the first time
0: Right. So when you you do that, um, so it sounds like it's sort of a combination of both, uh, you know, that you would let them sort of go through some of these tutorials. But is that something you do kind of get everybody together and and do like a formal training, though?
1: Um, Yeah. Again, I think it depends when a a new developer arrives or when you as a team begins to uh, uh, learn serverless. So I think when you as a team, as a whole team starts to begin to learn serverless, then I think it's better to make it formal, see together and learn together. But after the team gather up enough information, enough knowledge, um, and now a new developer joins the team, then you won't gather the entire team again. And then, you know, you you have a set of links that each developer can go over it alone.
0: Right, And, and, and in terms of, especially like with a new developer coming on, or just, I guess the team learning in general, uh, you know sharing information between the team like how how do you recommend doing that? I mean, are, do, you, do you still put stuff in wikis or should you be using something
1: more real-time? Yeah, Actually, it's, it's a good question. By the way, I just want to add a lot of people forget that many developers jump from On-premise development to serverless development. So there's also another gap that they need to uh, uh, to learn mm-hmm. Or to jump over, this is not only serverless but also cloud computing. Right. So, to many of the developers that join my team, um, I one of the first things that they do is also play with the AWS uh, environments on its own. They create new resources. You no, know, create an EC2 instance. Many of the developers see it for the first time. So, remember that. So, jumping straight to serverless sometimes it's not it's not the best way. Make sure to move along the path that will allow developers to easily transition into the cloud computing. Sure. Now, regarding your question, I think that sharing is very important. Uh, always share. You know, we here in Omega use Slack, or in your case, any other tool that you prefer. And we have a weekly meeting where all the developers gather together and uh, we, uh, we define the agenda before the meeting. And each developer uh, shows a new serverless uh, material that if, that is learned uh, in this week. So uh, uh, serverless is a it's a great. There are a lot of new things to learn in serverless on a weekly basis. There's a very low chance that we repeat uh, uh, the knowledge that you've learned from previous week.
0: Right. So you so you would repeat a lot of that stuff. But what about sort of capturing that? Um, do you do you do internal documentation for that like using a wiki or something
1: no no um, I have only we have only wiki to the material to online to public material on AWS or to any other good tutorials that we find but we don't have any wiki on you know on the uh, new stuff that the new developer learned last week mainly because serverless is such a dynamic field uh, dynamic technology. So writing something in a wiki will make it uh, a a very will make it stale in a matter of a couple of months.
0: Are you are you telling me that my wiki page on how to install SQL Server two thousand is out of date? Yeah,
1: unfortunately.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So so what about best practices then? I mean, so if you're not. I mean, it's it's kind of hard with serverless because you throw the term best practices out there. And uh, yeah. I, I like to think about it to say, I'm not sure if there are best practices, just anti-patterns right now, like things we try to avoid. Uh, you know, so codifying those, I think, is somewhat important, at least between the team. So everybody's doing things the same way. So how, how do you do that? Um, you know, do you, do you establish best practices for a team?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I think you can also divide it into best practices in in the actual code. How do, What's the best practice in using DynamoDB OS 3? And the best practices to behave as a team, as a serverless team. So I think serverless promotes end-to-end process, uh, which means that developers take full responsibility from the design phase up to the production phase. So for example, in Lumigo, developers are responsible to the product. You know, we are eating our own dog food and we know what bothers us the most. So we are the best candidates to develop our own platform. Um, Developers are responsible to the quality, making sure everything works as expected. And we are putting a lot of emphasis on automated testing and deployment. One of the, I think, one of the benefits of serverless is agility. But you need a set of tools to help you get the most of from servers uh, just using DynamoDB or just using lambda is not enough. You need all the uh, 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 all the tools behind the scene that will help you make the most out of it. and I think that developers in the end are also responsible to production, uh, making sure that what they developed works as expected and is being used by our customers
0: right yeah, and I, I actually really like that philosophy to where uh, I I feel like when you're a developer or when you were a developer in the past, you'd write a snippet of code. Um, You know, maybe you would write the test for it. Maybe there's somebody else writing a test for it, but then it would go to QA, someone would test it. You throw it over the wall. Some ops person maybe puts it into production and then maybe at some point it comes back to you. But I like that full ownership of it because one, you can see things in production very quickly. um, And as long as you follow, Good practices for security and things like that. I think it's um, uh, I think it's a, ver- a really really good way to keep developers motivated too to kind of sort of see uh, and own um, you know that entire process. So I do yeah. like that. Um, all right. So let's say we've done this. Now we've introduced uh, uh, our team to it. We we've got a good knowledge base going where sharing information. Um, you know, we're we're writing serverless applications. So now how do we how do we Sort of run this team on a regular day-to-day basis, um, and and maybe let's start actually with growing the team because this is sort of those funny things you see where someone's looking for a serverless developer with ten years experience, yeah. um, which is kind of hard because serverless hasn't been around that long. Um, and so, like, where do we where do we start? Who do we look for when hiring for
1: serverless teams? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. And I as you know, as a developer, if you see someone. Uh, post a job with a 10 years uh, requirement that means that it's not serious. So um, so th- that's a great question. And I think it's very hard to find someone with a lot of serverless experience. And it really resembles the early days of mobile app development. You know, I believe that in the future, a lot of developers will have this experience, but right now they don't. But I think that in the end, a good developer is a good developer. It doesn't matter what technology they use, um uh, uh, but i think that experiencing the technology and the methodologies that are enablers to the serverless to serverless are get plus so i think things like experiencing the cloud that you're using whether it's aws or azure or uh, google cloud i think that experience using serverless components like s3 or DynamoDB. i know many developers that I don't know wrote code that runs on EC2, but worked quite a lot with S3, so mm-hmm. I think it's a very good experience. I think knowing uh, 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 um, agile processes like uh, continuous integration and continuous delivery, because Serverless is very agile and promotes uh, end-to-end uh, ownership. Then knowing how the entire process works is very important, and I think automated testing. A developer in you know in our era needs to know how to write tests and needs to know how to write them good.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, the other thing is, is that uh, beyond just knowing how S3 works, for me anyways, I've always been looking for people who understand distributed systems or at least um, have some knowledge around, you know, uh, what happens when something fails and things like that. I mean, what what are your thoughts on
1: that? I, I think yeah, it's a good point. And I think you know one one, that's one of the ways that I personally test developers that come to the team. I think that a good exercise uh, is to let them uh, uh, to design a distributed system. For example, try to design a system that uh, mimics the uh, uh, the mechanism of lambdas. So say you are on the lambda team, how would you design and build something that scales indefinitely? Or a system that runs multiple processes, that trying to deliver a message from one place to the other. I think that serverless is about scaling. So you also need the developer to think about how to scale the design uh, and how to scale the system that they build.
0: Right. And one of the one of the things that I I found interviewing, uh, especially people graduating from college, uh, is that they don't have a lot of distributed. Uh, a lot of distributed systems experience. And and one of the questions I tend to ask them is all right, what happens when uh, your database isn't big enough anymore? Um, and usually the common answer is, we'll just get a bigger database, right? Like, But eventually, if you can get them to answer the question, well, maybe I could put some of my data on this database and some of my data on this other database and split yeah. the data. All right, exactly. and if they can start thinking about sharding and things like that, um, exactly. I think that's really interesting. And then also, uh, a lot of people, and this is really scary uh, in a sense. I mean, I'm not sure what they're teaching in some of these colleges, but um, you know, this <laughs> idea of like even connecting to an AP API, it's always happy path, I think, is what you get from a lot of developers. And so if you say to them, well, what happens if the API doesn't respond yeah. right and if they say well I, I try it again okay that's the first step <laughs> but you know try it again all right but what happens when you can't keep trying it again what you know what's that failover how do you build in that resiliency um or at least thinking about it and i think that's always a good sign if, if people can come back to you exactly. give you answers like that then I, I think that's really interesting
1: exactly that that's a very good point and i think that in the end developers don't don't need to mention the right uh, terms so even if they don't right. say shards but they mean, okay, like you said, uh, 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 split the data between various databases. It shows uh, thinking in the right direction.
0: Right. And curious curious people, I think, make the best programmers. People that are Definitely. willing to just, they want to learn something new. So, all right. So let's move on a little bit past now we've hired, let's say we can hire some good people. Um, there's probably some training in there and so forth. We kind of talked about that. Uh, but what about, you know, this day-to-day work in serverless? Is there, uh, you know, let's say we're working with cross-functional teams, that's something that's very popular in agile environments now. Um, You know, you have a product manager, Uh, you know, do things things like the granularity of user stories change? I mean, now that we're building much smaller components, um, do we need to get that detailed and say, we need five functions as opposed to, we just need to solve this user story? I mean, is there a difference there?
1: No, no. I think, I think it's the same. I think the moment you move to microservice architecture, I think the way you think about the product stays the same. Nothing changes.
0: All right. And, that's, and that, I think that's uh, probably um, uh, music to product managers' ears, right? So that they, <laughs> they don't have to learn job, anything too Job se- Job security. Right. Yeah. There you go. All right. So what about tools? Um, because they I mean, Lumigo a tool obviously, but um, that's sort of a monitoring, you know, uh, debugging sort of after, uh, you know, in production tool type thing. But, but in terms of tools to help you build um, these services, you mentioned frameworks. Like how do those, how do those come in?
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a good question. And I think, you know, first of all, you know, when they teach us in college about encryption, they always tell us not to write our own encryption algorithm. Use someone, use something that is ready. So I think that the same thing applies to server st- uh, tooling. There are a lot of tools today that enable you to package, to upload, deploy your code. You have tools today that helps you to monitor and debug. Use them. Don't write something on your own. Don't waste your time on it. Um, I think one of the first things that you need to learn is to learn tools like AWS CloudFormation or Terraform. Uh, These are the tools that enables you, in the end, these are the basic tools. uh, These are the building blocks that enables any serverless packaging technology uh, to deploy deploy your code, to deploy your various sources. So no matter what um, serverless framework you choose, either the serverless framework or, or Chalice, in the end, behind the scene, everyone are using either CloudFormation or Terraform So I think it's it's a very it's very important to learn uh, the basic building blocks. And I think you need to learn how to automate your tools, uh, automate your testing. So use uh, good testing libraries like PyTest or Jest, and there are many others that are very good. And also use several plugins to test some of your flows locally, like DynamoDB or API Gateway. I think that bus scripts or scripting, you know, it depends on the uh, OS that well, you so use. So let me. Uh,
0: sorry to interrupt you, but I, I want to go back to the testing locally thing, and and we can talk more about that. But um, but the mocking libraries and so forth. So I and maybe we disagree on this, and that that'd be great. But I'm thinking. Uh, you can emulate DynamoDB locally. And certainly the serverless offline framework or a plugin that uh, allows you to run um, you know, the endpoints I think is, is great locally because that way you don't have to publish them and you can make changes quickly and, um, and that works really well. But I think interacting with some of the cloud native resources like a DynamoDB or an SNS and an SQS, um, from a local development standpoint, I feel like it's better to interact with the cloud services of those I get unit tests, right, doing stubs, you know, or, or some sort of mocking maybe for unit tests, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, but I mean, you know, how far would you go with these local mocking libraries?
1: Yeah, that, that, that's a very good point. I think, I think it's a painful point right now in serverless, in serverless testing. And I think the only thing that I can say right now is that um, testing locally, just as you said, won't give you the quality that you're expecting. In the end, local testing will bring you uh, a certain amount of uh, of validation on your code, but I think that the best way uh, uh, to increase your testing velocity is to give your developers the ability to run their code easily and fast in the cloud. I mean that's the only way to actually test and making sure that the code that you wrote is working. and
0: are you, are you a fan of giving each developer their
1: own environment? Yeah, yeah, in the end, that's what we're doing here in Lumigo. Um Again, I think it really depends on the size of the team because uh, uh, environment, although serverless is supposed to be a pay-as-you-go, uh, but there are various components in serverless, like Kinesis, uh, that even if you didn't use them, you're still paying them. So if it's a large team, you need to think of a better way to uh, control your costs. And I think, you know, I think it's a different uh, discussion, the, the discussion about costs, but in a smaller thing, smaller team, I think you can give to each team member and in uh, uh, its own environment uh, uh, and give each uh, developer an ability to easily deploy uh, the code um, to his environment.
0: Uh, yeah i think that's uh, i I love that i love that model because then you just have they're not messing up anything they're not even messing up the dev environment right they've just got their own sandbox that they can play around with all right so let me go back for a second to um the frameworks right because you said cloud formation and terraform is usually what happens under the hood and I, i totally agree with you on that uh and i think that's a good point because what you have, even with the serverless framework or with um, SAM, which are the ones that I'm most familiar with, um, you know, if you want to create an SNS topic or a DynamoDB table or something like that and include it in those SAM, uh, the SAM template.yaml or the serverless.yaml file, uh, you're still writing just straight Cloud formation in order to make that happen. So, right, right. Um, so even if you know how to do a function, you know the functions and the events and and some of those other things that are super handy and easy to do. Um, you know they've got shorthands in uh, in those different frameworks. Uh, if you want to get a little bit more advanced, yeah, knowing knowing that other stuff is 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 an absolute uh, uh, absolutely imperative. And um, and again, uh, I'm monopolizing most of your time here. I know I'm doing a lot of talking, but the Bash script stuff. Is another thing where uh, I know it's a really low level for, or it seems low level, but there's so many things that you can do with Bash scripts that a little tiny script here, uh, especially as part of your CI/CD process or your testing process, um, you know, makes a huge difference to know that. So I'm exactly. uh, totally in agreement uh, with you on that. Uh, so did you have anything else on Bash scripts? Or
1: I, I, I think that again, I think Bash scripts, scripts in general, you know, the glue. So you need to learn how to glue things together. And the only way to do it is to learn scripting.
0: So, yeah. So then the other thing, too, um, in terms of tools, and I know there are some tools that do this now, um, but I guess this goes back to certainly CloudFormation. This would be very much so specific to AWS. I guess other services as well. But um, understanding the IAM permissions and roles and things like that, because uh, you know, I just uh, had a conversation with Hillel Solo uh, about server security, and we were talking about uh, the least privilege principle and things like that to make sure that we're not opening things up too much. But um, that's a tough—that's a tough uh, uh, a yeah. thing to do. To one, learn all of this stuff, but then to enforce it. So, do you have a way, or do you use tools to enforce IAM permissions? Yeah,
1: that—that's a good point. So we don't—we don't have any automated tools to enforce it. But it's something that is very important to remember. Security is important. So it doesn't matter if you use serverless again or any other development paradigm or any other technology. And I think it should be part of the development cycle. And when working with AWS, understanding how IAM worlds work, I think it's crucial. Because otherwise the security will be partial at best and i think the you know the uh, the term that you mentioned the least privileges i think it's something very important that each new developer should learn as part of his uh, welcome week to the company but uh, again just to show you that security is not in it's not only iam so for example in uh, aws in serverless when using s3 so making sure that your s3 buckets are not public making sure that they are private so again security is not only iam Uh, In Lumigo, uh, the the security phase is being done through the code review. So during the code review, we have a checklist that needs to be uh, passed. So one of the checklists is is, uh, security. So we do ask the developer, why did you add this kind of uh, 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 IAM permission? Why are you using it? Can you reduce it uh, to something uh, 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 lower? So. Developers need to answer no to answer these questions before they can actually take the code and merge it to production. But, by the way, I think also it's a good, it's a good time. I want to uh, uh, go with you over our flow here at Amigo, just to understand the development flow that we do here in Amigo, uh, and how everything uh, uh, is working together. Sure. So so we have our task in Jira, uh, and the moment the developer picks uh, the task, Uh, He opens a branch in GitHub. Uh, We're using a GitHub flow, which means that in the end, each branch that is merged to master actually is being deployed to production. And so the developer creates a branch, write the code, test the code either automatically providing uh, uh, automation. He has to test the code on its own, uh, on their own AWS environment. Um, They do a pull request, uh, they do a, a code review, there are a lot of automatic gating that we do. Again, the word automatic is very important here. Uh, so things like linting, unit tests, integrating tests, static analysis. Uh, and if the code review passes, then it merges uh, to master. And we have an automatic uh, uh, continuous integration uh, service. We specifically, we use Circle CI. And we push it to a monitor environment, and then to production. And in the end, the developer itself monitor it uh, through the Amigos platform. And again, pay attention. It's very important that the developer is responsible to the entire site uh, from, you know, from uh, uh, the product, from writing the code, writing the testing and monitoring the production.
0: Awesome. And I, I really like the, um, uh, I like the code review process that, you know, you have this sort of checklist of things that you have to do. Now I know some companies that are, very very good with this. I know some startups that are not so good with this. So um, I know you guys are still a relatively small team, and and that's a uh, and that's great to enforce those uh, those policies earlier because I do see yeah. those possibly breaking down because you still have that human element, and maybe in the future we'll have some better tools that um, uh, that'll automate all of it for us. But um, okay, great. So that that's that's awesome, and I, I think that that uh, the outline of of what your processes is really, really helpful. Um, so let's, let's get, you know, so now we if we arc this story here, we, we moved our team to serverless, we've been running serverless for some time now. Um, now what about things like roles and specializations in serverless teams? Uh, because some of the AWS services or services in Azure or, or, or um, uh, Google Cloud, they could require a specialist in and of themselves, right? DynamoDB, designing DynamoDB tables, yeah. understanding Kinesis and some of how those things work. Athena, QuickSight, all of these tools that are um, uh, are very complex in and of themselves., uh, is that something that you want to start doing? is shifting some of the responsibility to individual users so that they they can sort of go deep on one service and and sort of broaden the
1: knowledge for the entire uh, for the entire team? Yeah, I, I think it's a tough question. In the end, I think it depends on the size of the team. Um, as a rule of thumb, I think that for small teams, I don't know, less than 10 developers, uh, it's a ballpark. It doesn't have to be 10, it can be also 15. Uh, but it's an, on your personal feeling, everyone should know everything. Um, I think that it's a, when the team is small, it's a chance for the team to learn serverless, You know, when the team is very big or when the team grows, it becomes very difficult to share knowledge, uh, to gather together and to talk uh, together about the various problems. So when the team is small, it's a good uh, point in the life of the startup or in your team to uh, create a a core knowledge um, of serverless. So as the team gets bigger, so um, I think you need to start to specialize. And um, always remember, I think you need to always remember to have redundancy, you know, making sure that at least you have two developers that know how to use resources. So, you know, that's
0: that's a really good point. Yeah. The redundancy aspect of it is, uh, uh, is huge, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And I think
1: that some services, just like you've mentioned DynamoDB, Kinesis, uh, are difficult, difficult to master and they change all the time. Uh, And I think you should share knowledge on these services, uh, on uh, need to share knowledge on these services with couple of developers, uh, even in small teams. So in small teams, most of the developers or all the developers will know how to use DynamoDB in the, let's say in the general uh, uh, level, how to write to DynamoDB, how to read from it. But for example, how to design an index um, and how many shards should I have for Kinesis I think this is a kind of speciality that I don't know. Maybe one or two people in your team should know uh, as deep as possible, and the other and the others should ask them questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, so let's talk about maybe the day in the life of a of an engineering team. I mean, you mentioned your workflow, um, and you kind of gave us that, but um, uh, but does anything change in sort of the methodology, the way that we approach software development? Yeah, I think
1: it's, uh, in the end, it's very similar to teams that use microservices. You know, it's, again, it's full ownership, product, code, testing, deployment, production. I think there's a very major change from, you know, from uh, using serverless to using other microservice technologies, the costs, I think we started talking about earlier. So people need to understand costs. Developers need to understand costs as part of the development cycle.
0: How important is cost, right? I mean, you, you take larger organizations and uh, I know there's a lot of jokes about, you know, oh, my serverless infrastructure costs us $30 a month or something like that. But that, that applies if you're maybe using, you know, just Lambda and API gateway or something. Exactly. But add Kinesis in there, add DynamoDB, um, you know, start adding some of these other services uh, and get some scale, Right. And then all of a sudden cost is an important factor. And if you're calling the KMS API too many times or the uh uh you know the the uh, the secrets manager API, you know, things start to add up. So how how much time and energy should developers be thinking about cost or be spending thinking about cost?
1: I think that people you know, people that come to serverless for the first time sometimes forget how easy to scale serverless. So in a matter of minutes. Uh, You can easily get uh, hundreds and thousands of lambdas running simultaneously, millions of requests to the DynamoDB, and in the end of the day, you suddenly see a bill of a couple of hundreds of dollars, and you ask yourself, what? So I think it's it's very important what you just mentioned. So for example, in Lomigo, we have cost alerts, you know, in each of our environments, both our dev environments have cost alerts, so developers know Uh, uh, if they uh, use uh, their resources too much. I, as a manager, I check the costs on a daily basis and I'm trying to understand the trends. I use the cost exploring AWS quite a lot. And in addition, we also use our own tools. We have our own uh, monitoring tools also gave us a cost breakdown. Um, And I think, again, part of the code review, it's part of the checklist that I've mentioned earlier. We ask the developers, why did they choose for example this amount of memory for this specific lambda or why did they add another index to DynamoDB? Uh, each index costs more money because you are uh, we are duplicating the data and for example why they are using kinesis and not files so there are many questions we ask along the way when doing the code review again it's not something that can be done automatically it's something that mm-hmm. people needs to see the code and understand what's going on but we ask the questions in order to make sure that developers understand the trade-off, and in order to understand that it costs a lot of money, and you know, especially for startups where money is always tight, uh, suddenly paying thousands of dollars per month—it's uh, it's dangerous. It can be really dangerous. So it's not only oh no, you know, we'll use the corporate uh, credit card. It can be really dangerous for your startup. So you need to pay attention to it.
0: Yeah, and I think, too, that's one of the the things that I know I always did. I mean, I, I've, I've worked in many, many startups. So um, even before serverless, cost was always uh, a factor uh, in optimizing the solution. Uh, and I think that is something you can do. Like you said, Kinesis versus Kinesis Data Firehose. Um, some of those things have variable costs as opposed to fixed cost for shari's and some of these other things. So I think that's that's something you build in early. You don't need to worry about maybe premature optimization, yeah. but um, but I do think that if you say, well, look, this is going to be um, this is going to be five thousand dollars a month, and this is going to be five hundred dollars a month. Um, if there is a if there is a way for you to see that upfront, um, which in most cases I think there are, you can do some good estimations. Um, you know, that's definitely uh, definitely something you should be paying attention to. I agree. Um, all right, so uh what about the overall responsibility of the team, right? So smaller teams, we talked about this a little bit more in the beginning. Uh, you know, ops teams, uh, security teams, all kinds of teams that 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 do things in in the in the modern cloud um and uh and do things in modern organizations. Um where does the overall responsibility change for serverless development teams?
1: Yeah. I, I you know, I've never talked about security teams because I think that security again it's it's you know, especially in today's world with security so prominent, um, I don't think that developers can be specialized in security. They need to know security, they need to know how they write the code. But I think that security needs someone who specialized in security. Now it depends on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, whether you are in a big corporate or in a startup, whether you want to hire someone who specializes in security, or you're doing some kind of uh, uh, training for your developers. Uh, to be security specialist. So that's a different question, but I think that security is a different role. But you've mentioned also DevOps, and uh, I've mentioned also on, uh, on, uh, on uh, previous notes, uh, the uh, the QA. And I think the DevOps and QA today in the serverless are actually one role. It's developer, DevOps and QA are, is the same person, it's the same developer, who is doing everything. And I think that in the end, it produces a, a better product because it's a developer, a developer knows how to test his code. He knows how to write the, uh, the testing in order to think about all the various uh, uh, edge cases that might appear, either the developer or doing the code review, maybe other developers, but I mean the developers themselves and not the uh, someone who is external to the development process. The same thing about operations. I think that, um, again, because serverless uh, gives you the ability to deploy your code very easily, especially with the tools today, I don't think there's any need to have a separate role for it. You, the developers can do it. And with the uh, monitoring tools that you have and the monitoring that AWS provides, I think the developers can do it. They don't need uh, someone uh, um, to do it for them. Of course, I'm not talking about um, about customer support and things like that. The probably will require a different role. but I think the uh, the day to- day monitoring and making sure that everything ticks as expected, I think the developers can do it. it yeah. Is- you
0: know, I, yeah, and I, I think I, I think like you said, the the idea of owning all the way you know, all the way through QA into production. Uh, Is really interesting. And I mean, maybe this even goes back to the cost optimization thing. Uh, When I'm writing something in serverless now, um, you know, I might be building a couple of Lambda functions, I'm interacting with Dynamo, I'm doing some of these. Uh, other things i i spend a lot more time thinking about the design of the application and how it should be built um, than i do actually writing code like a day that i write yeah. only a few lines of code but um but uh but i've 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 launched something that is production ready um you know is uh is is a pretty good day so uh we certainly don't measure um you know the, the less lines of code the better uh in my opinion i think that's shared amongst quite a few people Um, All right, great. So let's kind of wrap this up maybe uh, because we've been talking for quite some time, but I'm fascinated by this conversation. So I think I could probably talk to you all day about it, Uh, (laughs) but maybe you could just give us uh, some general advice based on your experience, some general advice for engineering managers that are starting to manage serverless teams.
1: Yeah, Uh, I think use the serverless benefits. So move fast, Uh, test various ideas, add new features quickly without getting bogged down with provisioning problems. Again, it's something that serverless, the the, uh, the cloud provider deals with. Um, I think if your code, if your application is monolith, you know, you start, again, you start a, a, with an existing theme, as you call it legacy code, and your application is monolith, I think you should start breaking it into smaller components. And you don't need to break everything. You can start with breaking the uh, peripheral stuff, like I don't know, report generation, emailing services, Slack alerts, um, all kinds of services that are not the core, and slowly but surely start, you know, eating parts of your monolith uh, code and transforming to serverless. Again, I, I I'm returning back to the to the original uh, 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 question that you you've asked me. Don't use the buzzwords use several use services that you've uh, that everybody use and move slowly
0: right yeah and i i think that the that that's a really good point i mean starting simple there's no reason to to, exactly. to launch something with uh, a very complex you know multi-connected event bridge with kinesis in there and and all, uh, yeah or SageMaker like just things get complicated um, can, or can get complicated pretty quickly. So, uh, exactly. all right, well, that's great advice. So listen, Evie, thank you so much. This has been absolutely awesome. I, I think I've learned a ton. Uh, I, hopefully the listeners have learned a ton. So, uh, maybe you can, um, tell people how they can find out more about you and about Lumigo.
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, I, I'm on Twitter, um, T S F T um, and you can find me also on Lumigo, Lumigo.io. I write blog posts over there, and of course you can contact me by email, Effi at Lumigo.io. I always help, to help I always like and love to help others, especially in the service world.
0: Awesome. And then Lumigo's Twitter handle is just at Lumigo.
1: Yep. Right? Yep.
0: Perfect. Okay. Awesome. I'll get all that into the show notes. Thanks again. Thanks. that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Effie Murdler kravitz for being my guest this week. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com 13. For more serverless chats, be sure you subscribe and rate the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you're interested in serverless and want to discover all the great new articles, use cases, and latest innovations from the serverless community, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.